Good morning, church. Come on. Good morning, church. I love it. I am so excited to be with you this morning, mostly because with, I'm with you every Sunday morning, so I don't know why I said that. It just sounded really good in the moment. But I am excited about this word today. Um, I originally named this message 2020 Vision, which I think we can all agree is kind of clever, right? Like we're going in, it's the year 2020, we want to have 2020 vision about where we're going. It's not at all cliche, right? And I just thought, I, I gave that title to Cody and I thought, this is it, 2020 vision, that's where we're going. And we are, in a sense, because the more that I prayed about it, the more I prepared, the more unrest I experienced in my spirit. See, we are going into 2020, and we are going into a new year, and this is, the kind, this is the time of year where we hear a lot of hype, and it is hype, about how 2020 is going to be your year. 2020, this is the year of your big breakthrough. 2020, I'm coming for you. Ah! I don't know what that is. But the more I tried to move in that direction, the more unrest I felt because I felt that for some of you, that message is falling a little flat. And the reason that the message is falling a little flat is that as much as you would like to believe that 2020 is your year, the truth is that you have been believing for something and you've been stuck for far too long. The truth is that some of you want to believe, but you have been striving and striving and striving towards the thing that you believe that God is calling you to, and it hasn't produced any harvest in your life. I believe that some of us are here today, and we are saying, I don't need hype. I need a personal revelation from a living God who speaks directly life into my circumstance. That's what I want. So this morning, my hope, my belief in my prayer is that whatever that is for you, if there's an area where you feel stuck, if there's an area where you don't feel you have any movement, if there is an area where you feel like you have fallen into discouragement and you don't know if you have the strength or the faith to get up one more year and believe for a breakthrough because it's been year after year after year that you're believing for the very same breakthrough, then my prayer and my hope and my belief is that this morning, the Holy Spirit will speak life will speak personal revelation that we're not just here doing a rah-rah dance about the year ahead, but that we're actually getting quiet before a living God who has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today and we come before you with a heart of obedience, nothing more, nothing less, just obedience. I ask right now that you would bring to our mind an area where we've been believing for breakthrough and maybe we're feeling a little bit discouraged. I pray that you would speak powerfully to us, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what you have done, because our faith is in you. I just pray that we will leave here today with a renewed faith, a renewed hope, a renewed vision for the year and the decade ahead. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So I am a confessed planner addict. I love planners. Where are my planner addicts? Anyone else? Oh, yeah. Now, I love planners so much. When I was very young, in my early 20s, I couldn't afford a real planner. So I used a three-subject notebook. And um, it's looking back, probably one of the best planners I ever had, but I didn't appreciate it at the time. I really was believing for the day that I could afford a real planner. Now, I have to tell you that I have very little recollection of buying my first car, but I remember every single detail of that first planner. It was a Franklin Covey, some of you know, eight and a half by 11, because I had big ideas. Faux leather, oh, it was all I could afford, in burgundy. And when I, that planner came, I was so excited. And I opened up all the pages, and there was something about opening up all the blank pages of that planner that made me believe, if only for a moment, that absolutely anything, anything was possible in my life. And isn't that exactly what we do with planners? That's the whole thing about the productivity movement is that we have a planner because we desperately want to believe that our finances will be different, our relationships will be different, our life will be different. In fact, fun fact, collectively, we spend more than a billion dollars a year on productivity tools planners and self-help books and apps and software. See, year after year we do this, but of all of the billions of dollars that we've collectively spent over the years on this big promise, let me ask you, how's it working? Do we feel happier? Do we feel closer to God? Do we feel like our finances are in better shape? Do we feel healthier? Are relationships better? And if not, what went wrong? I wonder, with all of our productivity tools, if we're not chasing personal achievement as a cheap counterfeit, to what our soul is longing and desperate for, and that is the true, deep, lasting, personal transformation that only comes from Jesus Christ. See, we can buy all the planners, apps, and self-help books, and by the way, I know some of you are like, she did not just come after my planner. Listen. <laughs> I love the planners, all the planners. We can go on retreats and we can define our core values and our mission statements. We can develop goals and strategies until the cows come home. But if the posture of our heart is out of alignment, then all of this will come to nothing. Because the condition of our health, our finances, our relationships, our life is so, simply a symptom of the condition of our heart. We need a heart that is postured toward God. See, it is our posture, not our planner, that will determine our breakthrough. 
Somebody ought to Instagram that. That was really good. <laughs> now, I know that some of you might be thinking, Don, <clears throat> okay, that's a really nice idea for a message, and somebody could use it pointing next to you, but maybe you're thinking, you know what, this doesn't really apply to me because the posture of my heart is already good. I mean, have you seen everything I do? I go to church every Sunday, and I serve on a team, and I lead a community group. I tithe. I do all the things. So I understand that this message might be for, like, a beginner Christian, but I'm an advanced Christian. This doesn't really apply to me. And if I'm being honest, I would say that a few months ago, I might have thought that too. But recently, I came across a passage of scripture that was so convicting. Now, the the scripture is good because it encourages and it comforts and it brings peace. But the scripture also convicts. And we should take heart in that because when we are convicted, God is showing us something that is getting in the way of our ability to walk in freedom and wholeness with him. When God convicts us, he is actually giving us a path out of being stuck, of being striving, of striving. And so a convicting word as uncomfortable as it may be, is also empowering and a sign of God's love. Now, this particular passage is Genesis 4, and we're going to dive into this scripture. It's the story of Cain and Abel. And I think the scripture sometimes, sometimes it convicts, and it's sort of like pulling light weeds from a garden, right? Like, ooh, that hurt a little bit, or that was kind of uncomfortable. But in my own life, As I read this scripture, it took me like a month. This was not like uh, pulling weeds. This was a big root that God showed me was in my heart, and he needed to pull it out. And so I've walked through this, and this morning I thought, if if I'm going to be this uncomfortable, I think all of you should come along with me. So this morning, we are going to do a heart check. Before we jump into our planners, before we jump into our goals, before we jump into our strategy, we are going to take a moment. We're going to ask five questions that I believe will reveal to us the posture of our heart that will convict us and lead us forward so that our breakthrough in 2020 and beyond is not just a bunch of hype, not something that you buy at $14.99 plus sales and shipping on Instagram, but that it is a true and lasting transformation. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read through the entire passage of Genesis 4, a big chunk of it. I'm going to go through it all because it's important that we understand the story arc that is occurring here. And then we're going to come back and we're going to break it down and see how we can apply it to our life. So I'm going to read Genesis 4, 2 through 16. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Sassy. Cain was sassy. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your blood, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whosoever, whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, which means wanderer, fun fact, east of Eden. So that's the story arc. Now, we probably know the story of Cain and Abel, but what we're going to do is we're going to break it down because there are several truths here that I believe reveal to us the posture of our heart before God. And so as I mentioned, I think there's five questions that I invite you, I encourage you, I challenge you to ask as part of a heart check going into the new year. So the first one is, is there an area of my life where I am just going through the motions? So we review Genesis 3, uh, 4, 3 through 5. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of, his, of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And we learn that the Lord looked on favor uh, on Abel's offering, but not on Cain's. Now, here's what's really interesting about this verse. Cain and Abel were both technically obedient. They both tithed. It wasn't the tithe, it was the posture of Cain's heart as he tithed. We see that Abel, uh, yeah, Abel brought the first and best, and Cain just basically said, I'll get around to it, and brought some of his things before the Lord. Now, recently I had an area of my life where I felt stuck, and I you know, when I feel stuck and it goes on a long time, I just want to sort of take an inventory. I love lists. I'm like, okay, where am I doing okay in my Christian life and what's out of alignment? You guys ever do this? So where am I, where is it that I need for God to work in my life? And when we do that, by default, we're saying, well, this area over here, I don't need any help. And one of those areas for me was the area of tithe. Now, I'm not perfect in tithe, and it hasn't always been easy, but ever since I was young, tithing has been a priority to me and for both uh, Matt and I. But as I read through that scripture, I was so convicted. I thought about how many times in my own life I had had the same attitude that Cain had. I'll get to it. 
Instead of bringing my first and my best, and not just with my tithe, but how I showed up when I served, how I showed up in my life, was I bringing God the first and the best in every area of my life or had everything that I was doing just become, had just become another item on my to-do list, something that I was just checking off? Was I missing the opportunity to turn the simple act of serving or tithing? Was I missing the opportunity to use that as sacred worship? I was so deeply convicted, and I had to face the hard and holy truth that my heart was much more like Cain's. See, God isn't really interested in our to-do list. He wants our heart. So am I, and is there an area of my life where I'm just going through the motions? Next, is there sin that I need to remove from my life. It's a good convicting word, is it not? So Genesis 4, 6 and 7 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. Another uh, translation says you must mat, uh, master it. So what's happening here is that at first glance, it looks like God has come in to condemn Cain. But we see that that's not what's happening at all. See, in this passage, we see God's heart for reconciliation and relationship. He comes in as counselor and asks the question, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? See, I think that there's a chicken and, the egg, happen chicken and egg thing happening here. The Bible is not really clear about this, but is Cain's offering the sin? Because technically he was obedient. Or is Cain's attitude about his tithe symptomatic of sin that was in his life? See, Abel approached the tithe from a place of dependence on God. Cain approached the tithe from a place of dependence on self or pride. And I just wonder, and it says, God lays out the plan for him. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. How many times do we pout before God because somebody else is getting something that we want? How many times does God lay out his plan in his word and we, we read his word and yet we don't follow that plan? We simply have a posture of, where is mine? When we step into obedience, which is what God is asking Cain to do, if you would just step into obedience, God does not call us into obedience because he wants to control us. God calls us into obedience because that is where freedom and wholeness is. If you would simply obey me, I would give you the very blessing that you are asking for. You know, I saw one of the most powerful testimonies I saw of this was a few years ago. And a woman had come into one of my goal-setting workshops. And she came because she was struggling and stuck in two areas of her life. Now, in the first area, she was, uh, worked in fashion. She was really believing for a promotion. 
but there was a promotion that had come up and she was not being considered for it. And the second thing was that she was really needing finance to pay for her immigration paperwork so she could continue to work in the country. So she came in and she said, I'm really struggling. These two things, I'm not getting any traction. So we went through the workshop and afterwards we found a quiet corner of the conference room and we prayed together. And she said, you know, it's so weird, but as you prayed for me, I kept thinking about my mom. And I said, okay. And she said, no, it's weird. My mom and I are estranged. We haven't talked for some time. And I said, huh, okay. And then we prayed again and she left. 10 a.m. the very next morning, I get a text from her. Dawn, you will not believe what happened. I said, tell me. She said, after the workshop, I went home and I called my mom and we had a long talk and I forgave her and we reconciled our relationship. And I said, that's amazing. And she's like, no, wait, there's more. Do you love that when somebody's sharing a testimony? They're like, no, no, it gets better. She said, I came into work this morning, and the very first thing, my boss called me into her office. And my boss told me two things. One, I was getting the promotion, and two, they were going to sponsor my immigration paperwork. Now, the thing that's so interesting is that she could have chose in that moment just to strive. She could have chosen to work a bunch of hours over time to try to prove herself to her company. She could have done a big PowerPoint to present to her boss with all the reasons that she deserved the job. She could have gotten a second job to, to pay for the immigration paperwork. She could have done all of that, and there would be no guarantee that she would ever get the promotion she wanted or the provision she needed. But instead, she simply got quiet before God, listened for his voice, and obeyed. And just like that, breakthrough. Obedience will open more doors in our life than a thousand well-laid plans ever will. Question number three, am I trusting God's plan or insisting on my own? In Genesis 4, 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, this is really interesting. Cain is, his offering does not get God's favor. God lays out a plan for Cain to get favor. Cain hears that plan, and instead of following it, decides to take things into his own hands and go make a really, really, really bad decision. Now, I think it's really easy to read this text and be like, Cain, what are you thinking, dude? But how often do we do the same? How often is it that we are praying for breakthrough, that we are praying for blessing, that we are praying for something, and God lays out what it is that we are to do in, the, in his word? And instead of being obedient to that, we decide to take things into our own hands. We're not happy with how long it's taking to get the promise. So we try to force our way in before God's perfect timing. Or we think it's all up to us. And so we strive and we strive and we strive. We exhaust ourselves with productivity in the name of making something happen on our own. When we work from our own strength, we find ourselves like Cain, 
toiling land that will never produce a harvest. But what God calls us to is to simply follow his plan. The same God who knows the end from the beginning. Number four is, do I have a teachable heart? Genesis 4, 13 through 15 says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Now, what's interesting in this passage is that even as God says to Cain, does not give favor, even as he lays out the plan, Cain still responds, not with remorse and not with repentance, but with self-pity. Now, this is an Old Testament story, and it talks about the curse, and, and the good news of Jesus is that in the New Testament, we see that he died on a cross and was resurrected again so that we can live free from sin and shame. But how many of us know that very often our sin still has consequences? And in those consequences, it can be tempting to believe that God has abandoned us, but God has not abandoned us. Just as he protects Cain, he is also walking with us in our own lives. See, few things will keep us stuck more than showing up as a victim in our own sanctification process instead of a victor. God's convicting power is not done to us, it is done for us. And with the wrong heart posture, what can happen is that we can get stuck and we can blame our boss or we can blame our bank account or we can blame, even spiritualize it as a season that God has us in. But really, we just need to approach God with a teachable heart and allow him to do the sanctifying work in us so that we can step forward in power and freedom. God's kingdom is always an advancing kingdom. We can expect and be expectant that we are moving forward in Christ. And number five, have I allowed... Are you guys okay? You doing good? All right. Do you want me to tell a knock-knock joke, lighten things up a bit? Okay. Number five, have I allowed comparison to blind me to God's blessing in my life? Genesis 4, 23 and 24 says this. Now, before I read this, let me just say that uh, Cain was not just violent and prideful in his own life. It was actually a legacy that he passed down from generation to generation. And so we go five generations down and we meet Lamech. And Lamech, like Cain, is violent and arrogant. In Genesis 4, 23 through 24, it says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So we see here that Cain has created a legacy of pride and arrogance. And what I find so interesting about Lamech is that he 
knows that God gave Cain a promise that he would be avenged seven times if anyone killed him. And that was a promise from God to Cain. And Lamech decided for himself that even though that was not God's promise to him, that he was going to decide that he would get that blessing times 10. That's the level of pride and arrogance that he was operating in. And again, it's really easy to say, Lamech, oh, come on, come on. But recently I was convicted of this myself. Recently I had a, a door of opportunity open in my life. And it was great, but it wasn't the one I wanted. And so I said, thank you, God, for this amazing door of opportunity. But I'm really praying for this one over here. And I have people in my life, friends and counsel, and they would ask what's going on. And I said, I have this door open. And they said, great. And I said, but could you be praying that I get this door over here? And even as I said it, I was just terribly, again, so much unrest in my spirit until God finally said to me, Dawn, who are you to decide that the door that I am opening for you isn't good enough for you? And I had to repent. And I also had to ask some really tough questions. Why didn't that door feel good enough for me? And the reason was comparison. That somebody else had that door open to them. And I thought I deserved at least that door or better. If I didn't get at least that door or better, what would people think? What would they say about me? What would it say about my gifting and my calling, my worth? And I had to get quiet before God, and I had to repent. And it was only when I came before him with a full heart of repentance that I was able to show up in the opportunities that he was giving me and steward them in a way that was honoring to him. Just like Cain, God wants to give you the greater blessing. The desire of his heart is that this year and every year thereafter is a year of breakthrough. That you go from glory to glory to glory. But he doesn't want this just to be something that you checked off on a to-do list or a project that was complete or an award that you won. He wants the true, lasting, personal transformation of your heart. He knows the way. He has the plan. We don't have to figure it out. We could buy all the planners. We could get all the productivity apps. We could fill up our Asana software. But at the end of the day, the only one who knows the plan for our breakthrough is God. And he is a good, good father that longs to show you his faithfulness in your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good, good father. We thank you that you counsel us. We thank you that you convict us. We thank you that you call us forward. We thank you that you tell us to expand our tents, to take new ground, and that you are faithful to be with us every step of the way. We thank you that you are gentle as you reveal to us what is in our heart that you are ready to transform so that our lives really truly can be different, that our heart can be transformed. And from that, 
flow transformation in every area of our life. We praise you. We thank you. We trust you. We trust our future to you. We declare you good. In Jesus' name.